Hi everyone, you're watching Stefan Levera Podcast, brought to you by swan.com. What's next for Bitcoin? We talk about various soft fork ideas and development philosophies and ideas in Bitcoin. And uh, today I'm speaking with Ben Carmen from Mutiny Wallet. So he rejoins me to share some really interesting perspectives on Bitcoin protocol development. What are some of Bitcoin's biggest challenges? Uh, soft forks, covenants, what are some of the different categories of upgrades, what counts as a Bitcoin layer 2, and of course we get into some discussion on what he's working on, which is Mutiny Wallet, and we talk a little bit about whether this represents a new hybrid era for Bitcoin wallets. I'm sure you'll enjoy this discussion with Ben Carmen. Ben, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, Stefan. Good to, good to talk to you again. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. Lots of things happening. I know you are plugging away, working hard on Mutiny Wallet, as well as you know, commentating on a few things happening in the space. Um, yeah, I had a chance to play around with Mutiny as well. Um, we'll get to that. Um, but let's, let's first start with talking a little bit about what you see as Bitcoin's biggest you know, challenges on one side and opportunities on the other. Do you want to just start on the, let's start on the challenges side. What do you see as some of the, the challenges that we're, you know, as an ecosystem that we're facing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always been like, even since day one, it's always been scaling. Like, uh, you know, with, I th- there's a famous post by Hal Finney where he's like, oh, there's gonna be like a million Bitcoin banks. And it's like, you know, within a week, you realize like, okay, we can't just put everything on chain. And then um, for the last, I don't know, Lightning paper came out in like 2015, so like almost like nine years now. People have been working on Lightning, and it's been—I mean, Lightning's I think is a huge success, but I think people are now kind of realizing it's not just like, you know, just use Lightning and it fixes everything. Um, it's a you know incremental solution, and there's more things we need to do. And so I think a lot of people are kind of realizing that in this last like year or two, and um, it's evoked a lot of emotions, I guess. Like some people are like, oh. We were sold a lie and like, you know, Bitcoin devs are liars and scammers versus the other half is like, oh, you know, this is, we all knew this already. It's just like, you know, welcome to reality kind of thing. And then, you know, all of this is being compounded by like, you know, we're trying to like use the chain most efficiently. And then you have the taproot wizard guys just like putting four megabyte JPEGs on chain and, you know, not caring at all. And all this, you know, stupid stuff happens. So it's been a lot of fun in my opinion, but it's a, uh, it's a shit show. And, uh, I don't know. I think basically we're kind of coming, coming to a head now. Like, uh, you recently had, uh, I forget his name, like render code or something like that on, uh, Brandon to talk about, uh, all the soft work stuff or, um, stuff like that. So, you know, we're trying to like, I think the conversation now has kind of moved to like, at least a lot of people are recognizing we do need maybe a soft fork to try to like help these things. But um, there's the other crowd of ossification stuff that doesn't want to and all that stuff. So I think a lot of our challenges is like almost more social than technical of just like, you know, we need to come to like a social consensus of like what's the next move. And, you know, it's just politicking instead of like, you know, sadly not writing the code, but like kind of figuring out what exactly is the right code to write kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, that's kind of hard, but it's, you know, slow and steady. On the social element, I want to put this to you. I think you'd have some interesting thoughts. I saw, uh, and actually this is based, shout out to Neil Woodfine. He had an interesting, um, I'm going to call it taxonomy of, let's say, levels of, you know, what you want. So he, he had this kind of ossificationist view, which is basically don't change Bitcoin unless it's like gonna literally going to die. Then you had the kind of the conservatives who were sort of like, you know, we want some change, but sort of, 
slow and steady, be safe about it. Then you had the kind of Bitcoin progressives, the kind of people who are like more radical about what changes they want. And then you kind of had the sort of shitcoiner people who are sort of like just want to enable anything and everything that enables, you know, shitcoins uh, and, uh, you know, related. I'm curious, do you sort of, where do you see that taxonomy? Do you think it's accurate or inaccurate or do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I saw that tweet. I thought it was uh, I thought it's very accurate. There's like basically like those four camps. Like you have like the taproot wizards. Like let's activate cat and this and that. And it's like oh, that's, those get scary if we activate all that stuff. But yeah, and then there's the ossification crowd. like don't touch it at all. Like fix the filters. Like we have to fix our current stuff. Versus like uh, I, don't know, I, I fall I see myself more in like the conservative, maybe a little bit progressive camp where I'm just like you know we definitely need some change and. We can't just like wait around for 10 years to like pick a change because, you know, Bitcoin, you know, if Bitcoin is worth like a trillion dollars tomorrow, like softworks probably aren't happening anymore. It's just like being able to activate things just comes that much harder the bigger the system gets. So I think like we do have a time limit on these things. So I kind of leave to the progressive sense in that case, but like I just want to activate anything like, you know, we need to be somewhat targeted in what we activate. But um, yeah, it is curious. I think it's, it comes like a lot of uh, like when you got into Bitcoin thing, because like if you look in like the history of Bitcoin softworks, there's basically one every like six months to a year up until Segwit. It was just a normal thing like, oh, new Bitcoin core update. There might be a softwork up in it now. Now it's like, you know, if you even open a pull request to Bitcoin core for softwork, it's like a news event, which is like uh, is very different based on the time. So like, you know, if... Uh, you know, so it makes me like question, like, you know, is what's well, second with the outlier? Like, with it, if we didn't have this um, block size war and all the history, would we have just been having like, you know, still softworks every six months to a year up until now? Would we have like all these fancy things? Or was that like, were we just being like naive children, just activating random things and we got humbled during a segwit and now we like learned we need to take these time? You know, it's kind of a question everyone needs to ask themselves, but. I, I, there, I do think there's a middle ground. Like, I think like, you know, four years for every upgrade is kind of what we're at now. And that's, I don't think that's going to work if we, uh, go that slow because, like I said, there's this time limit on, on, uh, when we can activate things, I think. And if we wait too long, then it's like, that we're, you know, all these softworks we're trying to make self-custody easier and cheaper and like, you know, more scalable for end users. And if we like, you know, if we stop soft working today, Frankly, like, you know, most users won't be able to use self-custodial, self-custodial Bitcoin. And then, like, you know, that's not the dream we want of Bitcoin. And, you know, it, it can hurt its properties in the end where, if, you know, if everyone's in centralized custodians, then inflation can happen, you know, silent inflation and all that stuff. But, you know, it's different things to think about, but it, it's hard. So I take it then you, it sounds like you agree with, let's say, Reardon Code, aka Brandon Black, <laughs> his view on if we don't get say covenant or maybe in the longer term future a block size increase that may restrict the number of people who can self-custody bitcoin and therefore we should consider a covenant soft fork is that basically where you're at or how would you categorize yourself or how would you, what, yeah, what do you think there i think that's just like the general understanding of most bitcoin devs like um it's like either that like either we we know like we can improve current systems by soft forks otherwise it's like we basically just have to like invent completely new things out of the blue that like, no one's thought of for the last 10 years. Like, you know, maybe something like BitVM enables like a trustless two-way peg sidechain or something, but like, you know, sidechains still aren't like really ways to scale. It's more just like pushing the, uh, 
you know, it's like kicking the can a little bit. You're just like creating another blockchain, which is like, you know, the whole thing we're trying to solve is blockchains on scale. So like, why are we creating more blockchains? But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, maybe some other fancy stuff comes out of the blue that we didn't expect. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like our current understanding is we kind of need soft forks. And, you know, if we're just going to like sit on our hands, just like waiting for someone to invent a new protocol on top of Bitcoin, like it's, it's not like a, you know, long-term thing. That's just like hoping, uh, hopium kind of thinking. So I don't think that's very advisable. And unless it's just like, you know, if Bitcoin is just to you, it's just like I keep like my, you know, 10 Bitcoin in cold storage and I never touch it again. Like, sure, then you don't care. But like, you know, I hope that Bitcoin is like, you know, the currency that everyone uses is day to day. And to be able for people to transact like that, we definitely need more scaling solutions if we want to do it in a self-custodial way. Yeah. And so I guess there's a few different categories of things people can talk about, as you mentioned, um, the soft forks and people, I guess, talk about different categories. And that's, that's my understanding of it. I'm curious to hear your understanding. So let me just try to spell out some of the different categories I see people talking about. And we'll see. So I guess in one category, you've got sort of the, the block size increase or maybe the extension block kind of thing. That's kind of one way. And maybe someone like John Carvalho might be, you know, pro block size increase. Maybe not now, but in the future, let's say something like that. Um, but of course, that can also be controversial because people might be like, hey, if you raise the block size, you're just going to get more inscriptions and spam on the chain per se. Another category is, let's say, covenants, right? So any prev out and check template verify or TX hash or something in that category that it allows, you know, a, a restraint on the next output is sort of the, I guess the, the category or the way uh, read in code or Brandon explains that. Um, and maybe in another category, you've got this kind of ZK zero knowledge, um, either optimistic roll up or some kind of zero knowledge uh, category. I know someone like uh, Lao Lu from Lightning Labs might be sort of a little more in favor of that idea. Um, I'm curious how you're seeing it. Like, do you think that's a, you know, uh, 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 or I guess to be fair, there's probably also people who maybe, you know, I'm not personally pro drive chain, but there would be people who are pro drive chain as that approach. So do you see those as kind of the main categories or do you see any other category? What do you see there? Yeah, I think that's probably a good characterization of all the categories. Like, yeah, like you said, there's like the drive chain, side chain people, which we kind of now can kind of hopefully like say we don't need software score because of all the BitVM stuff. They can probably build it with that. And that's somewhere to like the ZK rollup stuff as well. Like we had, uh, I think it's called like Citria. They like made a POC or are working on a POC of a ZK rollup using BitVM. So like, you know, in theory, a lot of the stuff we can hopefully emulate those things without softworks and then you know if it's like okay we created a citria bit vm zk rollup but it's like a terribly inefficient it can't scale we could like you know then find softworks to make it better like somewhere that what we did with lightning where you know it didn't work perfectly until we had like things like cltv and stuff and that made it like a thousand texts easier and then you know right now we have the similar thought of like you know let's get apo or something to make lightning even easier um but yeah and then as well there's like the covenants which you know it's kind of the goal is like scale utxo ownership which um you know it's kind of like in my opinion it's like just the most like easiest transition of like you know we did all these soft forks that basically enable lightning over the last few years and then um now we have Lightning. We've kind of scaled payments, which works really well. You know, you open one channel, you can do a billion payments, close the channel, and, you know, only two on-chain transactions. The problem is, you know, getting every single user a Lightning channel doesn't really work. And these Lightning channels need to be, it turns out they need to be kind of big because 
on-chain fees, you know, break different things in the Lightning security model. So you need to like be able to handle all those different fluctuations. So kind of just ends up being just have a big channel and kind of, and then all those problems kind of hide away. So um, if we could scale UTX ownership, then we could have like these channels be you know almost shared among users or something and you can kind of have these different models where we can make lightning uh you know just basically lower the cost of lightning and that's in, in general a good thing um and yeah the the last one is like more the you know the fancy things like cat and all that and it's like you know those are just almost like it's like an undefined space almost like we know some things you can do with cat but like you know you can go on jeremy rubin's blog and read like the thousand different things he came up with of how like what to do with cat it's like those are like almost too scary of like you know we enable this and next thing you know we have like who knows on you know someone's playing uh you know doom on, on bitcoin or something and yeah um one other area that's interesting i want to get your view on there seems to be this let's say, explosion in the number of L2s, but at the same time, there's been some debate about what counts as an L2, mm-hmm. right? Because recently, there's been this kind of explosion of people who are calling themselves a Bitcoin layer 2, but then the question is, some of these things kind of have their own token, and then it sort of becomes like, is this more like a sidechain, and it's not truly an L2 that offers a unilateral exit in the same way that Lightning does, and arguably, arguably state chains could maybe fit in that category also, so maybe let's say the people who are more strict about what is an L2 would say maybe you know just Lightning, maybe state chains, and then there's a lot of other people who are having a very let's say expansive or permissive definition where they're counting, you know, all kinds of things as a as an L2 for Bitcoin. Where do you stand on that kind of uh, framing? Yeah, there's like you can take like the most extreme position and be like Coinbase is an L2 because you deposit, you can make internal transfers and then withdraw. But like obviously that's completely trusted. So um, yeah, I disagree with that. I think like I think the unilateral exit is probably the most agreed upon definition. It makes the most sense. You know, if I always have a transaction, I could broadcast, get my money back um, without any trust assumptions. Pretty much like that sounds good to me. So that yeah, things like state chains and um, you know some like two-way peg side chains, you can count into that. I think Lightning is kind of like almost a step better than that because like not like things like or something like Arc as well falls into that first category of like you know it's a two-way peg or not two-way peg. It's a you know you have this unilateral exit. But the problem I think with like things like that is like you have you kind of need like in Arc you need these ASPs in like these side chains. You kind of need like side chain like miners or validators and these like you know basically how you go in and out of them. And um, Lightning is kind of beautiful where it's like it's a truly peer-to-peer network where you know it started up with like five nodes and people just connected to each other versus like if you wanted to start up like something like Arc you need to like basically find someone that's willing to front the capital to start up like a, an Arc service provider and like take it on as like almost a business venture it's like really hard to start up as like a you know payments network with needing requiring like service providers versus just like with lightning it's kind of you can almost just bootstrap yourself with a couple channels which is like really really hard to replicate like that's why i think like lightning is doing so well is because like it's kind of like the perfect idealist l2 of like there is like almost like we can improve the trade-offs of like online availability and all that kind of stuff but like on the actual decentralization of the network it's like kind of unbeatable in that regard because there is no like service providers or anything like that it's mostly like we use service providers to improve the ux it's not service providers to like function the network which is like kind of a really different model than a lot of the other l2s so i do hope we can improve either like 
improve Lightning and make it even better? Or, you know, if we're going to come up with a new scaling solution, L2 kind of thing, I hope it can have the properties of Lightning in that regard, because I think like having these service providers required for us in L2 is like not ideal. And it's, um, you know, it's not the ideal that we could have in the future. And if we're trying to make Bitcoin this decentralized perfect thing, you know, we should strive for that ideal. But, you know, it is a lot harder to do. So we'll see if that actually happens. But yeah. Yeah, and I think it's probably fair to say there's there's like this sort of level of gradations, right? So from like Bitcoin, you know, in your multi-sig, in your cold storage versus maybe Bitcoin single sig, then lightning, and then maybe you've got like state chains and maybe some of these other ideas that are, you know, to, and then maybe you've got liquid somewhere in there and then you've got just like custodial exchange at the at the very end, right? You're just fully trusting somebody. Maybe Fedimint is somewhere um, somewhere there, but I guess that's sort of the, the spectrum we're dealing with. And I guess the way Giacomo was talking about it recently is sort of you're trying to push people towards one side, but you know that at least today, we know that not everybody can go on-chain because, as you said, we can scale payments with Lightning, but we can't necessarily scale users who can self-custody or unilateral exit, right? Um, so I guess that's that's where we stand for now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's basically like figuring out, like, do we try to scale ownership with Lightning, which is like what a lot of the different proposals are kind of right now? Or it's like, do we just like say like, Lightning is a bridge for these other L2s we're going to build. Like that's kind of like the arc or like Fediman approach of like, you know, let's build these alternate systems and we just bridge them all together with Lightning. And, you know, maybe we do have these service providers, but it's permissionless. So anyone can be a service provider. So it's not like centralized or anything. But it's, you know, it's still not that a perfect ideal. Everyone has their perfect self custody. But, you know, if, if, you know, if 90% of users have unilateral exit, like, that's a pretty good world. It's way better than this world. So um, I'd still be happy. But, you know, my ideal is hopefully we get lightning to be able to scale to everyone. But you know, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. So, look, put it this way. Let's say of the currently available proposals, if you had a magic wand, Ben Carmen's got a magic wand to uh, pick a soft fork or, a pro- or let's say a current proposal today. If you had to pick one, what would you pick? Oh, man, I don't want this power. <laughs> um, I don't know. I would probably pick... I, I re- I'm really getting convinced by the LN Enhanced proposal. I think it's um, really tactical where he's like basically took all the things of APO and emulated them with CTV um, plus some other stuff. And I think that's kind of beautiful. And it's like kind of giving us the best of both worlds. And it looks like we could probably take CTV and like basically upgrade it in the future to something like TX Hash. So I think that could be quite beautiful. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe tomorrow someone comes out with another governance proposal. So yeah, it's there's a lot of different things, and Flux is a problem. Like, you know, a lot of these there's like basically like a two month period, or like maybe like six month period, like a few years ago, where basically like every week we'd get a new governance proposal on the Bitcoin mailing list, and it was like, okay, like I guess there's an infinite way number of to do these things. So now it's like. It's, there's kind of settled on like five different options. We have like CTV, TX hash, uh, Merkleize all the things. There's um, people like emulate it with Opcat, and then there's like APO as well. It's like there's it's just like all these different things, all their different trade-offs, and like you know, it's it's kind of weird like what to pick for the trade-off. Like we could do CAT and have like basically infinite functionality now, but it's like way less efficient on chain. But then the argument is like, who cares about the efficiency? Like, people are inscribing JPEGs. Like, you know, we don't. Why do we care? But um, you know, obviously, we want to reduce the cost and stuff. So things get better with like CTV and TX hash. But then enable too much uh, functionality, maybe, or like too complex and all that stuff. So I think Alan Hans kind of 
picks a perfect middle ground of the current proposals right now. But like, you know, if I had to like wave a magic, if I like, if I was given this power, I don't know, I'd actually use it because it's, that's scary. And like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, a week from now, something else comes up better, but we've already, you know, kind of made that soft work and now getting consensus for another one is going to be that much harder. So yeah. it is hard, but yeah. Yeah. And so I guess out of, let's say those categories that we spoke about before, right? Zero knowledge, stuff, mm-hmm. you know, extension blocks or block size increase, covenants, you, you sort of are veering mostly towards the covenants. Uh, you think that's probably the most fruitful pathway to go? Is that what your view is? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, like, like I said, like, covenants give us the most likely way to have that, like, perfect, like, decentralized unilateral exit, you know, no service provider needed kind of thing. Um, and, like, block size increase, I think, is, like, we... we we already beat that horse to death. Like that's not going to happen and uh, probably not even a good thing. And like the ZK roll up stuff, like, I don't know, like the shitcoin space, like really uses that stuff a bunch. But like, if you talk to them, they're like, yeah, it's like basically one validator running the whole thing. It's like, not like, it's basically just like kind of throwing tons of fancy math in front of regulators. It'd be like, Oh, it's definitely decentralized when it's actually not. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's I kind of like a regulatory uh, arbitrage play. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, like all of the shit coins are. So, um, I, I don't actually like put too much credence on those. I, I mean, if someone could like pull off a real, or, like a real decentralized version of one, that'd be great. But you know, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm waiting to see it kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So let's, if we're talking in the realm of covenants, what do you see as the big, you know, what are the big levers here? What's going to really move the needle? Is it things like non-interactive channels or cold channels or is it um, congestion control or, you know, or I know there's a covenant impact on DLCs. What do, what do you see as the, like, what are we really hoping for with covenants? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the the dream is, like, kind of like the payments pool idea where basically, like, basically a bunch of people enter into, like, a pool and now they like all share one UTXO and they're able to make transactions within each other like seamlessly. And then they can, you know, bridge that to lightning and stuff as well. And, uh, I think that's kind of the dream because like it gives you like not only like amazing like scalability, but like extremely good privacy properties where like, you know, there's, you basically don't need the coin join anymore because everything is inside of a coin join. It's, well, it's inside a UTXO, not a giant transaction. So it becomes like, you know, basically it breaks all the models for like all the scaling problems and all the privacy problems of Bitcoin. But, you know, it is a dream. It's like there's, there's no real true proposal of how to do that yet in a, easy way without like either like a million soft forks or like super complex state machines and stuff that's going to be hard to operate and then you know different online requirements and all that stuff so it gets like really hard but in theory if we could do it that'd be the dream so i think like moving towards that is the best possible and yeah i think like step one is kind of like okay we have no way to share utxo with users besides multi-sig which requires an always online compliance so Let's just, you know, activate some sort of covenant that gives us, you know, the ability to share UTXOs um, trustlessly. And that would, like, give us a huge upgrade in functionality. And I, th- I, I, don't I feel like just having some sort of covenants will not, will, like, will enable all these things that we've, like, people have been researching for years and have ideas of. But I'm guessing that's going to inspire, you know, new developers to come up with brand new things. Somewhere like, you know, we talked about Taproot for basically, like, six years or something, the kind of the core ideas and, you know, f- Two or three years after Taproot's been activated, BitVM came out on accident. And it's like a whole new functionality that no one thought was possible. I think, you know, the covenants will probably end up having a similar kind of thing of like, oh, we we're going to share UTXOs. And it turns out it enables, 
you know, who knows, some crazy thing. And um, it's just like a small primitive that gives actually like a ton of like new po possibilities. Like, I mean, like you brought up the DLCs thing. It's like, like that's like, you know, a super small thing, but reduces the cost of DLCs by like, you know, a million X basically of just like, you know, you no longer use store a million signatures and verify all these signatures. You just, you know, get, generate the same address and you're done. Like it's so much easier. So I do think like things like that could like really elevate what's possible next and like, I think we activated like something like CTV or the full thing of like L enhance. Like we'll have like, you know, now like five, 10 years of work worth of work to do of like, you know, getting lightning and all these different protocols up to date with like the latest and greatest. And in that meantime, a ton of new research is going to happen with those new primitives and people find even, uh, you know, new things and we'll have a new path of like, okay, we did CTV and now we know that like this is the next move. Like, like, you know, if you think back to, in like 2016 or 17, like when SegWit activated, we we knew like, okay, Lightning is starting. It's barely working kind of thing. And we, there's, I think, I don't know if when the uh, L2 paper came out, maybe like 2018, 19, there's like some ideas of like, okay, we can make this better. And now like, you know, almost 10 years later, since Lightning started, we have like all these different ways to improve Lightning that we know, but we just, you know, have to like pick one now. And I think like the same thing's going to happen where it's like, the ideas are just kind of starting to form, and once we actually hit play with them in the wild, like we'll really get all those ideas out, and then have a clear path forward. But like if we just sit around picking one thing that's gonna be perfect, it's we're not gonna actually like you know you have to kind of like get users, get um, some like you know testing in the real world, and be like okay, this is the real problem, not this, and have a clear path forward. So yeah. Back to the show in a moment. The leading Bitcoin and blockchain visualizer is mempool.space. I go there all the time. I often like to keep tabs on what's going on in the Bitcoin mempool and the ecosystem. And this is a great website that you can use to find out how much you need to attach as a fee for your Bitcoin transaction. And also you can search transactions, both historical and also unconfirmed transactions. They're continually rolling out new features like mempool goggles, like things like looking at the RBF history, the replaced by fee history of a transaction just to see whether it got RBF'd or not. And you are able to explore so many different aspects of Bitcoin, whether that's mining, whether it's lightning, whether it's on-chain, whether it's uh, liquid network or other things. There's just so much you can explore over at mempool.space. This show also brought to you by coinkite.com, the leading Bitcoin hardware security manufacturer. I use cold card and cold cards in various setups of my own. I find it a really reliable and versatile device. You can use it in single signature. You can use it in air-gapped mode or not air-gapped mode. You can use it as part of a multi-signature. You can use seed XOR. There's just so many different options that you can configure to tune the device to your desired security level. Now, they have the cold card that's out available now. That's the Mark IV. And coming out very soon is the cold card Q. So I've got a few orders in for those, and I'm looking forward to using that. That device will have QR code support. So for those of you who would really like to sign Bitcoin transactions using QRs where you sort of scan back and forth, that will be a great device to choose. They also have a range of other equipment that you can use to help you in terms of recoverability. So for example, you can get the seed plate and punch out your 12 or 24 words and keep that in a safe location separate from your main uh, device location, of course, and that can help you back up your private keys. So to get your gear, go to coinkite.com, use code Levera, get your cold card or pre-order your cold card queue 
over there at coinkite.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, and you mentioned payment pools as well. I guess probably also interesting to point out here that ARK kind of is a payment pool, right? I mean, there's some elements of payment pool in ARK, but maybe the main downside, as most people see, there is the very high capital requirement for ASPs. Uh, I guess that's probably the main downside, would you say? Or do you see other downsides there? Yeah, yeah, Arc is yeah, actually Arc is like kind of part of that dream like it it is like basically a payment pool. Like you put it you deposit in and it's like basically you're just like kind of transacting within the system unless you and there, and you can do like lightning payments out of it and everything. It kind of gives you that dream. It, the problem is like, you know, it's you have these giant ASPs that have to do transactions like every few seconds to like bring down the transaction latency for for the payments within and it like that like really blows the chain, a like, ton of on-chain payments, and it has you know you you have these requirements for this giant ASP that you know it's not only the capital, but then like you know server uptime, all this stuff, and it's like you know maybe we could somehow figure out how to federate it and stuff like that, but that's you know even more complicated. So who knows? But yeah, I think Arc would be awesome to have, and like I think there is a way to do it today, but it's like kind of unusable for like end users because of the online requirements and stuff. But um, if we did have like something, I think I think it needs CTV, and then you can like kind of do like the the really nice version of Arc. But uh, yeah, I mean that, that's another thing. It's like you know we can talk about Arc all day, but it's like unless you know unless someone like you know puts Arc on a mobile app, like we're not really gonna know how well it works until like someone does that because you know just like facing reality is like the best way to figure out if your thing works or not. not like we can't we can draw on a whiteboard all day, but who knows if it actually works. Yeah, and the other point around simplicity, uh not the soft fork to be clear, simplicity in general <laughs> what we're talking about here is you know, people like you and I and let's say listeners of this podcast will probably be more tech savvy or at least interested. And so we might be interested to talk about some of these ideas, but in practice, what happens on the, you know, rubber meets the road, there needs to be, you know, an app, there needs to be something that people can actually use, right? There needs to be signal so that people can use encrypted chat and not re- expecting everybody to be using PGP and like being a hacker man, right? Obviously, you and I understand that, but then maybe that's something where, you know, it really has to be made productized and simple enough that you know, everyday user can just use an app. Otherwise, it just becomes like a bunch of nerds all theory crafting about some hypothetical system that is not actually being used and cannot actually be used. Yeah, I mean, even further, it's like, uh, you know, we could like, like we've been talking about things like CTV, APO. It's, you know, like there's a bunch of Bitcoin app devs that have no idea what these mean or like, you know, they can, they kind of have an idea like, oh, okay, that enables this. But like, you know, it's really like, you know, it's almost the the soft fork devs have to convince like the then the, like the lightning protocol devs who have to convince then the end app devs who then convince the users like there's these all these layers of like kind of convincing and like productizing and stuff so like you know like there's lots of like lightning devs who are like eh, I don't really want CTV like I think Matt Crowell has been a lot of uh, talking against it he's like I want to get rid of like these properties of lightning not those properties of lightning and stuff like that so you know there's lots of different trade offs everyone wants to make and uh, it's it's hard so yeah there's all these steps of like you know, the app devs just like Users complain about this. I want to get rid of this. And there's the protocol that's like, this part's annoying of the protocol. I want to get rid of this. And, you know, everyone has to kind of like find that middle ground of like where, where we're actually going to target and try to fix things. Yeah. So let's now get to Mutiny. You're building Mutiny. I've uh, had a quick go at it myself. I've, uh, you know, just had a quick play around. But basically, it's a browser-based wallet. And you can install it as like, a, like, a, like an app on your phone. Oh, what's the word? Um, PWA, Progressive Web App. Um, 
do you want to just talk a little bit, you know, just give us a high-level overview. What is Mutiny Wallet? Yeah, I mean, Mutiny is the kind of the goal is try to make the best self-custodial lightning wallet. And um, and doing that, we kind of learned self-custodial is really hard for a lot of users. So um, now it's coming kind of like a hybrid wallet where, um, like right now, like, Basically, for most users, it's self-custodial Lightning. It's running LDK and BDK in your web browser, and um, well, it's like trying to make the best Lightning app with, with that. So it's been pretty good so far. We have like a lot of um, a lot of different users now. You know, we there were times we got lots of forced closures. We fixed like most of those now, just like hardening the app and everything like that. And now, basically, our biggest complaint is things like, oh, I can't receive offline. Oh, I don't have a lighting address and all that stuff. So now we're kind of going down this path of fediment of, uh, you know, it's, you know, you, we have self-custodial lightning. It works pretty well now. And we want to, you know, kind of enhance that with fediment where, you know, you can't receive offline. Okay. Well, if you're offline, it goes into a fediment and then you can sleep it to your lightning channel once you're online or same with the lightning address. You know, you can't, you can't run an HTTP server on your phone. Okay. The fediment will, and then you'll sleep it to your balance um, when you come online and stuff like that. So basically, you know, we're trying to like make this best lightning experience and, and, um, with that, we're, you know, combining things like Fediman to try to make it better. And, uh, yeah, something we're also working on is, like, a lot of different social features. So, like, right now we have, like, a Sync Nostra contacts and stuff like that. We'll have an update coming out soon that's going to, like, kind of like make that, like, first-class citizen in the app. So, like, it's going to be faces everywhere. You can really, like, really make it really easy to, to pay friends and stuff. Like, I'm here in Madeira right now, and we have a different, like, Nostra engineering cohort thing going on here. And everyone's been using it to pay each other, and it's fun where it's, like, in the past, you know, when you... uh like someone pays for for lunch and then you have to like you want to pay them back. They'd like generate an invoice, you have to scan it and do that for every single person at lunch. It takes forever. It's nice now. Everyone just like okay, oh Paul paid. Everyone searches Paul. You hit send and it's done. You don't need to like do that invoice dance. It really makes the the experience like a lot better. So we've been having a lot One of fun with that. Quick question, just on that. I mean, what about in the future if there's like a lot of spam on Nostra, spam like fake Paul accounts? How do you know it's the real? How do you know it's the real Paul in that example? Yeah, I mean that's that's the eternal question. So I basically, I mean, right now we just, we're trusting your contact list, the people you follow on Nostr. So if you follow a fake Paul, like you're fucking up, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean Nostr has ways to fix this. Like we display like the lighting address. You can make sure, okay, like you are future Paul um, at alby.com or whatever, and be like, okay, that's the one I'll send to. And then uh, you know, as well, there's like NIP fives and stuff. We can verify the that stuff. But yeah, I mean. The bootstrapping of Nostr is hard of like verifying who you're actually um, becoming friends with or following and stuff. So yeah, we, we have different ideas around that. Like we want to add like onboarding inside of Mutiny onto Nostr. We want to be able to like invite friends into Nostr and then, like when you invite them, they like auto follow you and stuff like that. So different things like that, that try to like you know make that harder to happen. Cool, cool. And so I guess the other big criticism, and I'm sure you've you've seen this criticism, is around it being a browser-based wallet and obviously browser security being difficult, people being uh, maybe less able to verify what's going on with an update of the app, right? Could it be a malicious update? Could you just explain a little bit of your thoughts around browser-level security for this, obviously, monetary app? Yeah, I mean, like, all those critics are not wrong. Like, uh, the browser is a scary place. And um, basically, like, you know, we do have native apps that you can, I mean, just they're, they're in beta right now. Like you can download the APK and we have an, an iOS test flight. So like we, we do recognize that. And like, you know, if you don't want to do the browser stuff, like 
you probably should use the app. Like most users should be using the app. The reason we did the browser stuff is because of um, basically like, you know, these app stores can just box everyone out. And like, I think it was in like 2013 or 14, like Apple banned all Bitcoin wallets. Like that could very well happen again. And then uh, everyone is screwed. So kind of that thing is like, we always want that fallback of like, you know, we are not going to be stopped by these app stores, even if they want to, because we have this web fallback. Even if like the web is like 0.1% of your user base, that's fine. This is basically just having that safety net of being able to come back um, and, you know, not be stopped. Because you know, a lot of things like, you know, if you're using a, a, something like maybe like Phoenix, where it's only in the app store, like if you, if they like rug you, like the app store bans it, it's like, there's kind of no way to get your money back besides like, you know, if you'd have to like go find like another closing. Yeah. Using Electrum it, and recovering that way. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. Which is like, you know, 99% of users won't be able to figure that out. At least, you know, the target audience we're going for trying to get like everyone on lightning. So that's gonna be really hard. So basically like, having that web fallback makes it really easy um, to like safeguard against. And as well, it kind of lets us, um, you know, give this like super easy onboarding where like a lot of times, you know, okay, like you're trying to onboard your waitress or something and it's like, okay, download this app. You got to search in the app store and it's 50 megabyte file. It takes forever to download on the shitty Wi-Fi and then, you know, you have to set up the wallet, back up your seat, all this stuff. Like it's a long process versus like basically now we see, you know, you send someone a link and they're instantly onboarded onto like lightning, which is a really powerful experience. It makes things like so much easier. But a lot of times like at conference or something, like, Oh, try it out. And it's like, they just like go to the link. They're like, wait, that was it. I thought I had to like sign up. Like, no, you're, you have a wallet now. It's like, you know, kind of fun to like, just like put it like into people's hands. And, you know, they're kind of like almost like don't even consent. They just have lightning without even trying to, which is, which is fun. Yeah. Now walk us through um, some of the initial setup there because I, I had to play around and I, um, I set up and it just, to, just obviously in preparation for this, I installed it. I, practiced you know just receiving into light and like using lightning to receive from another mm-hmm. lightning you know node that i have and sent into that and it then auto created the channel and i interestingly i noted that it actually had some capacity on both sides so can you just tell us a little bit about you know what you're doing there how the setup works yeah yeah so we're working with voltage as our lsp they have a product called um flow 2.0 so yeah basically like if you don't have any channels yet it's a fresh new wallet when you hit receive, you can still receive on Lightning. And basically, the payment will hit Voltage's um, LSP node, and then, like, for basically, for you, you need you still need the channel to receive it to your end. So Voltage will open a channel to you for that payment, plus a little bit extra, and for the payment to you, so you can get the uh, the final channel and the payment. And um, yeah, so right now what it does is it adds on an extra 100k Sats for that, so you get some inbound. So your next receive doesn't won't, won't have to have a charge as well, as long as it's under that 100k limit. So yeah, that's kind of the goal, just trying to like make it easier and easier, because you know we don't want people to have to manage channels themselves, like. You know, I, I run, I've run a Lightning Node for like five years, and I I refuse to manage channels. I was just like, I'm not touching it. I open these channels forever ago, and they're just gonna work. And then it mostly works, but like for any, like you know, I there's a that thing's been running forever, and like that's different for mobile wallets where you can't really do that. So the um, LSP kind of gates all that stuff for us. And something we've been exploring a lot is like you know, most wallets like something like Phoenix or Zeus, like they all have like their own LSP. Same with Breeze, like. It's like the wallet and the LSP are like a you know tied entity, but we're kind of taking a different approach of like we're just trying to make like um, we're just trying to make the wallet and let the LSPs like be run by you know those professionals. Like we're a bunch of devs, we, we don't know like you know like I said I don't run my, I don't manage my channels. I don't want to have to do that for you know a million users on our um, 
on our LSP. So we like Voltage do that. We're also like in talks with other people to like um, add other LSP options. So trying to make like, you know, like a free market of LSPs within the app. So instead of like, you know, even if you like us, but you don't like our LSP fees, well then you just pick a different LSP within the app. So trying to like, you know, create that, like, you know, just the best app in class and then let the LSPs compete instead of like having the apps compete kind of thing. So, um, you know, we're working, you know, in progress there. We still, right now Voltage is the only option, but we should have more options coming soon. Right. So, I mean, I guess some of that, I presume, is based on the LSP spec. So, listeners, check out my earlier episode with Severin Alex Bueller, where we kind of went in detail about the LSP spec. Um, but, yeah, that's it's great to see that you, you'll you have a, a bunch of options there, because that, that'll be handy as well going forward, um, because there'll be you know, more challenges coming and maybe certain, even at a jurisdictional level, right? As, as you know, as listeners probably know, Walter and Satoshi left the US market because presumably they didn't want to serve US customers, probably because of AML concerns is my guess. Um, and so we may start to see that in other countries as well. We'll see. Maybe it's just a US thing. We don't know. Um, but you know, maybe that allows people to sort of use a wallet from one jurisdiction, but an LSP from another. And then that can sort of help sort of decentralize things a little bit further that way. Also, I'm curious if you see, you know, further coming down the line there, like it seems like the US government is sort of now currently, uh, there's been a recent uh, bit of an attack against the miners. Do you see more coming at a lightning level? Um, at a lightning level, maybe. I think, um, honestly, my biggest fear is all the taproot asset stuff. Like, once we start having lightning nodes being like almost mini exchanges, like swapping tether for lightning, like, you could probably make a better argument that they're uh, like money service businesses. So I think that could really heat it up once, um, lightning labs, um, get all, get all that stuff out going. But I think at the moment, there's not too much pressure. Luckily, lightning's still pretty small. So people haven't really, like, you know, tried to bite the, uh, bite them yet. Like, the, the thing is, like, you know, most users today are custodial lighting users, so it's so much easier to just be like, let's just go after Wall Satoshi or something and try to, you know, pressure them versus, like, attacking individual node operators just because, like, you're getting, like, you know, way yeah, more easier users. choke points to go after, right? Yeah, easier yeah. choke point and, like, more effective. You're attacking more, like, individuals that way. So that's what they've been doing. I think, you know, maybe, maybe if we succeed in our goal of trying to get everyone on self-custodial lightning, Maybe it's a good thing then look after trust, but uh, not yet so far. But yeah. yeah, we'll see. But I think the other criticism people would have, and I mean, we kind of spoke about this earlier, but I guess the criticism the criticism could be, hey, Bitcoin today cannot support that many users. Will people get priced out of this, right? And it's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. what what are you building here? If only you know, as you know, Brandon said on that episode, and you probably agree, we're probably talking somewhere between ten to one hundred million users who can non custodially use Bitcoin. Anyway, in a world with 8 billion people and probably 300 million entities, you know, over 8 billion entities, it's, it, we're, not, we're just not going to get that many people using the thing. And so I guess the challenge would be, will people get priced out of using this? Yeah, I mean, we directly experienced that during the huge fee spikes like of last year. Like fees are like 500 sats per V-byte. And like even if you have your channel open, it still affects you because when you make a spend on Lightning, you have to be able to afford if that channel closes while you're spending it. So you have to be able to afford that HTLC. And like at those high fee rates, it was like even if you have like people would have like, you know, 200K stats on Lightning, but it's all effectively um, useless to them because the channel fees just to be able to spend that was too expensive. So, um, yeah, we do like experience that already of like, you know, uh, 
having these, you know, in the future, this is going to be the barrier to entry is going to be higher and higher. So this is why we're kind of going down the Fediment path of like, okay, you can start on Fediment. You know, there's a, you know, there's a giant gateway that manages the Fediment's lightning channels and stuff like that. So you don't have to think about that yourself and worry about chain fees. And then, you know, once you say you get enough money in the app where you can now justify having your own channel, then you can go and do that. And um, so that's kind of the goal there is kind of making this hybrid wallet where, you know, you can elevate yourself without having to, like, change wallets and change every, your whole uh, trust model and stuff. You know, you just, like, you can start in Fediment and then move to Lightning when you're ready, when it makes sense to, instead of just, like, forcing the user, like, okay, go pay a million chain fees and all this stuff. And, you know, you have to put, like, thousands of dollars in this app to use it. Like, we don't want that, so... Fediment has kind of that nice bridge for us to get there. I see. So that's the, and that's where you you mentioned the hybrid aspect. So can mm-hmm. you just talk a little bit about how exactly you plan to build in like Fediment support or you know Fediment is it Fediment support in the Mutiny app or how how is that going to work? Yeah, it's actually already in there. It's just uh, a little bit hidden. But if you go to like in the settings, you can add federations. Um, but right. yeah, and right now you it, need like an invite code for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like every federation has their own invite code, and then once you have that, you're a part of it, and you can start transacting. So yeah, right now the way it works is like if you have a federation, then all your um, sends will go in there if it's under like 200k sats, I think. And then, um, and then we have the like once you have a balance in there, there a swap button will come up, and you can click that if you want to swap it into self custodial. So basically, we're trying to like you know have that iterative approach of like um, our, our end goal is like you know you open the app and there's a default Fediment already enabled for you, and so you can just immediately start transacting. You can like receive like you know one sat and it still work. And then, um, you know, as you accumulate that balance, then you'd swap into self custodial Lightning when you're ready, and. Um, you know, we'll probably have like different like modes of like, you know, Fediment only, Lightning only. You could have like, you know, uh, receive on Fediment, but swap and then always uh, uh, withdraw it straight to self. So Lightning when you're online, like stuff like that. So, you know, we're still like kind of valuing that. Like, you know, the Fediment stuff is really, really new. It's, you know, like the Fediment team just released like the 0.2 of the Fediment software, which is like kind of their, we're trying to um, maintain backwards compatibility for now on. So like, trying to make less breaking changes and stuff to the protocol. So things are like just starting to stabilize now. So it's still like, you know, not even, you know, there's not, there's like barely any mainnet federations, if any, it's mostly like hobby um, kind of federations, not like the liquid federation, the kind of thing that's, it's going to run for like six years. So we're still like kind of getting, you know, our feet wet, but um, the end goal is to kind of get there where everyone is using this stuff um, for their, you know, small value payments and any large stuff goes into self-custodial. Back to the show in a moment. Nomadcapitalist.com can help you with offshore tax planning, plan B residence and citizenship, and so much more. As many of you know, I left Australia because I felt locked in. And I think this is something that many Bitcoiners may want to think about, whether you are planning to move out right now or whether you want to think about having a plan B citizenship or residence or some other uh, options available in terms of structuring your business or potentially investing overseas if this is something that you are interested in. Over at Nomad Capitalist, they have helped people get residence rights or passports in dozens of different countries. They've helped them set up bank accounts in various different countries. Now, obviously, we're Bitcoiners, so we deal with Bitcoin, but you might need something to deal with the fiat side. And Nomad Capitalist can help you from a holistic sense because they can help you strategize and plan uh, and come up with a plan that's right for you and for your family. So they're not just sort of... uh, 
picking out a particular passport and sort of selling you that particular program. They are holistically working with you to come up with a strategy and they can also help you implement that strategy. So they may not necessarily be the cheapest provider out there, but they can help you in a holistic pathway and they generally will look to make sure that you are getting an ROI. Whether that's a personal ROI or a financial ROI, you are able to use Nomad Capitalist in a way where they can tailor the, the solution for you and they can help work with the multiple different uh, uh, service providers, whether that's accountants and lawyers and other uh, realtors and other people who are in those different countries to help you with your plan. This is uh, very suitable for people with a higher net worth, generally people liquid net worth above $1 million, but this might be an interesting and important option for Bitcoiners to consider. So to sign up, go to nomadcapitalist.com slash apply. The lead sponsor of this show is swan.com. Swan is a leading Bitcoin-only financial services brand. Over at swan.com, you can buy Bitcoin, you can learn about Bitcoin. I'm actually working at Swan as head of education, for those of you who don't know, and I'm helping work on some of the educational content. And Swan puts out a ton of educational material as well as various shows. So recently we have Bitcoin Daily ETF show with Dante Cook. We have Swan Signal and there's Cafe Bitcoin. There's just so many ways that you can use swan.com to learn about Bitcoin. Over at swan.com, you can sign up and either ACH in funds or send in a wire, either domestically or from uh, overseas internationally. And there you can either do a smash buy or you can set up an automated recurring purchase plan. And this is a great way to just regularly stack Bitcoin and just regularly accumulate it into your own Bitcoin self-custody wallet. With Swan, it's free self-custody withdrawals. Swan wants you to withdraw coins into your own self-custody. And Swan has this mission of growing the base of intransigent Bitcoiners. So get on the mission, go and sign up. You can find out more over at swan.com. And now back to the show with Ben. Gotcha. And so I'm curious, I'm not sure how deep the integration is with Fedimint and things. As I understand, the concept with Fedimint and maybe with Fedi, the app, is that you have guardians. And the idea is, let's say, you know, the hypothetical noob, new coiner person doesn't really know what they're doing. They kind of lost it. And the idea is they need to go find, you know, the guardian who can help them recover their sats. So would that concept exist in a mutiny wallet context? Or it's more like, no, you're SOL here. Like, how would that work? Yeah, like... um we're not going to like run the guardian or anything in a web browser. That's a bit too much, but uh, yeah, we want to have like, basically like we want to eventually have defaults um, that would just make it easier. So you don't have to think about that. But as part of that, like, you know, somewhere to the LSP thing we we're talking about, like we want it to be like, you don't just have to use ours or the one we recommend. We want like a free market. So something that I have to work on this week actually is kind of making like a, a way to like advertise Fedimans on Noster and create a discoverability layer there where you could say like, this is right. the Fediment, These are the fees. These are the different properties. It's a, you know, this one's a one of one or this one's a five of seven. So you can evaluate the different trust models and maybe even yeah. assign like, okay, this is a five of seven. And this is, you know, seven anons or this is a five of seven but it's you know matt oh, marty stefan yeah, yeah. You know, people you trust kind of thing so you know it's uh it's all work in progress but yeah i think we want to have like kind of a discoverability area in the app so it's like i don't want to trust this one but i know this one i trust or this one they can find one that they can trust and move to that so that's kind of the goal we're also like working on um we have like minimal cashew support we're working on as well for like sweeping cashew tokens just kind of like just kind of like let all the different models work and you know users can pick what they want 
Interesting. And so then I presume, and I've heard this from um, some of the Fediment and Fedi, uh, let's say, proponents also, is this idea that you might have one app with connections to multiple. So, and, I, and I believe, someone correct me, if, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand the Fedi app also allows you to have multiple Fedi mints that you are sort of connected with. And you might have, you know, 10,000 sats on one Fedi mint and another 20,000 sats on another and so on. So would you build a similar functionality in Mutiny? Like you would have Mutiny and you might have like a balance with, you know, Anon Federation and another one with known federation and then like another one with the cashew thing and then another balance that's self-custodial you would have like multiple balances yeah yeah we actually do have multiple federation support in the app it's uh we haven't tested it too well because there's not enough federations to really test uh, like battle harden it yet but um there's like support there and like in theory you can do things where it's like say you have like 10k sats in one federation and 10k sats in another we get an invoice for 15k sats in theory we could pay it where it still like spends from both and it's in like a oh, atomic way kind of like mpp but for federations kind of exactly yeah. exactly so um you know we haven't implemented any of that stuff yet but in theory it's possible so we kind of want to have like you know it would be cool like maybe there is no default federation it's default federations and you like you, you know, by default you know it gets split among like three federations so if one rug pulls it's not just all of our users all their money's gone you know it's like okay Everyone got a haircut. It sucks, but it's not everyone's totally rug pulled kind of thing. I see. So, and I yeah, guess that's um, kind of moving towards a similar idea of having a unified balance, right? As opposed to users having to think about, oh, what's my on-chain? What's my lightning? What's my this? What's my that? Um, interesting. Okay. Um, also, I know, obviously, you were working at Shortbits, you know, in a, in a past uh, Bitcoin life, let's say, and you were kind of interested in the DLC and... I know a concept there was this idea of stable channels and synthetic USD for some users. I know this is an area you're considering for Mutiny Wallet also. So can you just elaborate a bit there? What are you looking to build there? Yeah, it's interesting. If you talk to like people, like honestly, like one of the biggest like crypto users in the world are like, they don't actually, they're using like USDC and USDT kind of things where there's like, you know, they don't have access to banking, but Tether is like the best thing that they could ever have because it's dollars and it's like, you know, they can kind of custody their money versus like, you know, we're all like here just like we have modern banking kind of things, but we just don't want to have inflation anymore. So we're just, you know, holding Bitcoin. But for those people, like it's uh, really important to just have access to dollars and, you know, we don't, uh, you know, Mutiny is using self-custodial lightning. There's no the dollars on lightning yet kind of thing. So, uh, there's kind of like two days we can do it. Like Fediment has this a concept called uh, stability pools, which is like similar to like the kind of DLC model where you have basically like uh, people like taking different uh, bets on the Bitcoin price, and you can take basically just take a bet saying I'm going short Bitcoin, and by holding Bitcoin it ends up like you know basically effectively holding dollars and stuff. And uh, I think that'd be like really powerful because basically we can have like a Bitcoin wallet that you know even if you don't want to use bitcoin you can start out just using it as a dollars wallet and then once you like see like hey these invoices the, the amounts keep getting lower but it's the same dollars and it's like yeah bitcoin price is going up and it kind of becomes like an orange pilling method so yeah i think like you know just basically trying to make it like feature complete with every single kind of use case that users would want they just want it to be like a money app not a bitcoin app and then you know we can kind of get the most of amount of users onboarded on the bitcoin if we're just you know basically just throwing bitcoin in their face at every chance while they're using their normal stuff um but yeah that's kind of our goal we, we even talked about like what if we added like you know tron support of like you know if a tron invoice comes up 
we can we can uh, do like a, a swap of like, like a swap know, in the background, kind of like yeah, Apple yeah, has. yeah, 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 exactly. Where but like in, instead of like supporting like Liquid Bitcoin, just support like every single chain and like have you know some there's like different services that that'll like swap it for you. You know that that becomes and you know we don't really want to do shitcoin things, so we haven't gone down that route. But it is an it's, it's an interesting idea of like you know what if your Bitcoin wallet could pay any shitcoiner in the world and any shitcoiner could pay you, but you'll receive Bitcoin like. That's kind of great, and, um, and you know it's an interesting concept. You know, building it's another thing of like building out all those services and stuff. But uh, I do kind of think it's an interesting thought experiment of like you know, if we go, if you say, okay, we're allowing dollars into this app, it's like, well, why not allow other shit coins? And um, you know, yeah, interesting, then, yeah, yeah, interesting. And I guess for some users, it's kind of like you're you're trying to give them a baby step way in. Um, so I can understand that, and I understand, and I understand even with the Aqua guys, they're kind of doing it, but it's like a it's like a liquid based sort of wallet. Like the it's kind of like balances. It all to be clear, it also has a Bitcoin balance if you wanted to, but the other aspects of it are kind of like an LBTC base, but you can kind of pay out over Lightning or receive in using Tether, not just Liquid Tether, but Ethereum Tether and Tron Tether because it's using like swap providers in the background. So I guess in a similar way, Mutiny could build a similar kind of hey swap in swap out whatever you want, but like your balance held with us is a Bitcoin and Lightning balance. That that would be the idea, right? Yeah, exactly. Of like, you know, if you want to interact with the shitcoin world, go ahead and do it. You're a Bitcoiner, you get Bitcoin at the end, and like, you know, it just kind of works out for you. Yeah. So, but yeah. then I guess the only other aspect when it comes to synthetic USD, as we kind of spoke about earlier, people getting priced out of things, the stable channel concept, and you know, you'll understand this better than me, so you correct me here. But my understanding is that does require a bit more on-chain interaction to or mm-hmm. at least the possibility of more on-chain interaction if there, especially if there's violent moves in the price which might be hard from a user experience perspective right compared to if i'm thinking of let's say people using let's say blink as an, another example where it's kind of like a it's a custodial bitcoin and lightning app but they've got stable sats in there and that's kind mm-hmm. of their way of giving the users a, a quote-unquote usd balance how would how would the mutiny style synthetic usd or kind of stable channel dlc style work yeah i mean we've talked about this a lot internally like you know maybe it doesn't even make sense to kind of build that because like we could just do it inside the fetty mint it's so much easier and like in that regard it's kind of like offload it to them and let them kind of handle that yeah and it's just like because like at the end of the day like if you're using tether you already have a trust model so it's like taking self-custodial of your tether is like it's still not self-custodial, so it's like, why are we going through this headache of like 10xing the complexity, re- re-implementing everything? We still have a trust model at the end of the day, so like, maybe just like throw it into the Fediment and then just like let it handle that. Because like inside the Fediment too, you have like way better liquidity and all this stuff. It's like, this big unified thing versus like if you have a single channel, it's like okay, this channel is fixed in size and making payments is like this whole complex thing. And like you know, if I want to like sell some to like back to Bitcoin, it's like this whole other thing. It's like you know, it complicates like everything versus like the Fedman can kind of just handle all that for us, and then you know we still get the experience, same experience, and it's like the trust model isn't that much different, where it's like kind of worth all that effort. You know, maybe you want to hold like a million dollars in Tether, okay, don't do it in the Fedman, but like if you want to hold a million dollars, you probably shouldn't be using Mutiny. Like you know, it's a browser app. Like you know, that's that's not the use case for Mutiny. So um, you know, it kind of gets into those different uh, trade offs there. Yeah, gotcha. So. In your mind, who's the target audience for Mutiny? Um, our hope is like our goal is like you know the like the the Bitcoiners like us who like you know I want 
to recommend the best lightning wallet to, for that, that's on your phone. So like kind of like, you know, hopefully every Bitcoiner is using it. And then when you go to onboard your friend or your waiter or, you know, whoever guy in the street, you also recommend Mutiny because not only is it good for like the hardcore Bitcoiners, but it's good for the, the first time Bitcoiners. And that, that's kind of why we're doing this hybrid approach of like you can start out in this um, easy um, fediment world where all you have to do is, uh, you know, you, you don't worry about channels or fees or really anything like that. You just hit send and receive and it happens. And then, you know, as you understand more and more along your Bitcoin journey, we have different ways to enhance that, um, you know, kind of model for you. So, you know, because I think a lot of people, you know, they onboard a friend onto a wall Satoshi or something. And then like two years later, you have to like call them up and be like, oh, by the way, it's getting removed by, from America. You have to like go to Mutiny now or go to Phoenix or go to this. And it's like you kind of like you recommend a wallet, but like in the back of your head, you're always like, this is the wrong move. They're going to eventually have to get off of this. And it's, it's never a good experience. So we kind of want to, want to have that experience of meaning where you can, you can stay here. You can, and you can stay here forever kind of thing of like, this will always be a good spending wallet for you, whether you're a noob or an advanced users, because we have this progressive enhancement of uh, all the different use cases. But, um, yeah. you know, a lot of things to build there, but, um, work in progress. Yeah, look, it sounds like a, it's an ambitious vision, but at the same time, I like that you, that you guys are trying this. You know, there's lots of different approaches out there, right? There are some people who are, and you know, and to be fair, there'll be some users who are critical because they don't want any, you know, non, in any, they don't want any custodial stuff whatsoever. They just want only self custody. Um, but th- there's going to be many different approaches. People can choose, uh, and you can sort of pick what works for you. And um, so I think that's that's probably a, a good spot. Uh, so I guess closing up here, any, I guess any final thoughts for people on, uh, you know, where Bitcoin is going. Um, actually, one other. One another area i want to i did want to ask you about this so there's been this kind of criticism of let's say you know number go up right at the same time you know etf you know etc there's lots of criticisms of that uh but at the same time i I guess the way i'm seeing it is it's kind of like we've got this funnel right and noobs will come in and they'll buy the etf without realizing they're not buying real bitcoin and of course we want to sort of get them down the funnel to you know, I see it as like, you know, whether we like it or not, no matter how many podcasts we do or articles we write or whatever, the price is what pulls a lot of these people in. So I'm curious your view, are you seeing it in a similar way or do you see it as like, uh, you know, too many people onboarding into an, you know, on quote unquote, onboarding into an ETF is a bad thing because they're kind of, they are, put it this way, they just want the number go up there and they're sort of, there's like a tragedy of the commons here. Like they just want the number go up, but they're not willing to sort of do anything to help decentralize Bitcoin or keep it decentralized. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, it's like basically like, I think it's only bad if like the ETF is like uh, basically like people's only touch point in Bitcoin. We're like, they're like, cool, I, I, I'm all in on Bitcoin like you guys. And then they're just holding the ETF. And then like, you know, they never actually try to like do anything with it. You know, they never learn what like a block hash or anything is. They're just like, oh, yeah, number go up. I'm with you guys. Like that would be bad. But I think like, you know, the fiat system is like so screwed that it's going to be okay. Like, you know, what's really going to drive Bitcoin adoption like initially right now is this number go up. But I think the end game is not number go up. It's, you know, number go down for the dollars and as well as like different, you know, when you want to go buy McDonald's, they're just going to stop accepting dollars. And like, we're taking Bitcoin only. Like that's when the true adoption happens when like, you're kind of like these merchants you want to spend with are accepting Bitcoin and like, that's the default. So, you know, it's, it's, we're a long way to get there, but I think like that's going to be the end game if this is going to work because, you know, the smart money in the room, smart people in the room are going to be like, yeah, we only take Bitcoin now. Like with a lot, you know, a lot of Bitcoins are on this path now of like, I just live their life in Bitcoin. They don't use dollars anymore. And I think the rest of the world will eventually catch on and do the same. It's just like getting to that is going to be a hard part. 
And so I think, you know, the ETF is a good middle step of like, you know, getting like, you know, someone like BlackRock to like go on a Bitcoin standard. It's not going to happen overnight. The ETF is a, you know, step one of that. And, you know, step two is like, you know, they take self self custody of it. And, you know, step three is like, you know, we're selling all of our real estate and only holding Bitcoin. But, you know, <laughs> that's a while away probably. But, um, you know, one day I think is like kind of the end game there. So I think I'm not too worried about like, you know, everything going into ETFs, like, you know, for one, you know, it's a proof of work system, not a proof of stake system. So even if they have all the Bitcoin, they still have no control over us. So fuck them. And then as well, it's like, you know, like you said, the number going up is going to just draw more and more um, eyes and attention to Bitcoin. And in a game, that's, that's all we can have, like hope for is this, you know, if people never hear about Bitcoin, it's never going to get adopted. So we, we need some sort of marketing and uh, the number go up is kind of the best marketing you can, you can ever have. So I'm happy yeah, about that. I think, and yeah, and I think, I think that's a fair way to think of it. I think our job, if you will, is to sort of take those ETF Bitcoiners and sort of convert them, let's say, into people who care about liberty and sovereignty and all of these aspects. Uh, but it's, I think it's folly to just think we can, uh, you know, just uh, hector at people to... Uh, adopt the thing when they are maybe not listening to us or they're not even paying attention to us at all because you know we're not important to them at this point maybe later they you know they sort of start listening to podcasts reading books and using apps like mutiny and things like this uh and at least come down the pathway um any other thoughts you want to close out on um no i mean outlook is outlook is good i think for bitcoin like you know numbers has been going up a lot so that's been fun but uh you know, it's tech-wise as well. Like, you know, we've been talking about at the beginning of this pod. Like, lots of different things are happening in the space, and it's really exciting to see. Like, a lot of these dreams we've had of like years ago are kind of like coming to fruition, and things are actually happening. So, I've been really—it's been really fun, like following all this stuff. And I think the outlook is good. Like, you know, lightning's not going to die tomorrow, kind of thing that a lot of people were saying. And you know, inscriptions aren't going to kill Bitcoin. I think we're just fine, and uh, outlook is good. Yeah, great. Actually, I'm curious. One other thing you mentioned around the inscriptions. I know um, there's been kind of a lot of debate about it, the spam or inscriptions, BRC20 and stamps, if people want to be more specific about the more kind of pollutive elements of this. Uh, in your view, why are they bad? Oh, that's a good question. So like, this gets really into like the weeds. Cause it's like, okay, so like, why are they bad? Um, I mean, they're quote unquote, like polluting the chain, but like, in theory, that's just an incentives problem. Like we have a block size and everything that's supposed to prevent that. So if the block size is not solving that, then then what is the block size for? So it's either like an admission that the block size is either too big or there's something else with wrong with the incentive system. And I think stamps kind of highlight that really well where it's just a bunch of outputs. And the problem is those outputs can't be pruned from the UTXO set. So um, that, you know, that's like kind of like forever growth. That's not just like verify once, but you verify it. And now it's stuck in your UTXO set forever. So, yeah, I think like maybe there's an incentive problem there of like outputs are too cheap. And like Segwit tried to fix that. That's kind of why we did the Segwit discount was it made it cheaper to spend, um, just like to destroy outputs and then to create new outputs. So that was like one of the main things, you know, maybe we should have gone further. And like the thing is we get into this like kind of like circular logic where it's like, okay, maybe we should make the witness discount even uh, bigger, like make it 8x instead of 4x to like disincentivize these, um, all these outputs. But now that's if we increase the segwit discount, now all these um, inscriptions are cheaper and stuff. So now people can put JPEGs in cheaper. So we kind of, you know, it's we're just like picking uh, different trade-offs here. So I think like the current set is fine in my opinion. Like at the end of the day, it's like if this if Bitcoin is going to work, these NFTs are like 
not going to be valuable in the future most likely so it's like just let them run out of money let the, you know there's always going to be these uh you know there's a greater or there's a fool born every day kind of thing so like just let it run its course and it'll be fine like this has happened before this is going to happen again like i'm not too worried about it but yeah it's like you know it, it has had highlighted a lot of the bitcoin space of like um i think like when i got into bitcoin in like 2017 the kind of the the narrative was like shit coins are bad because you can do it all on bitcoin like you don't need to do um you know like these are obviously scams like you know don't buy icos and nfts but they're also scams because they're telling you you can't do this on bitcoin and now like people are doing it on bitcoin and they are still scams but then people are like we need to get this off of bitcoin which i think is wrong because like i think like you know like i met someone here in uh madeira at this thing where he was an ethereum guy and he came to Bitcoin because of uh, ordinals, and now he's like a Noster dev doing like really cool Bitcoin things as well. And it's like that's going to happen if we allow these, um, you know, these shitcoin devs to come. Like, you know, a lot of us, um, you know, I got into Bitcoin and then shitcoins and then found the light. But a lot of times now nowadays, people aren't, or even before this ordinal stuff, people are really just never touching Bitcoin. It's like only like they'd be like, oh, it's it's Ethereum or Solana or Tron. They never even thought about Bitcoin as an option. And ordinals is kind of like bringing people to here. And you know, there's a lot of stupid shit there. We, we can all see that. But there's gonna, you know whatever percentage of, that it is, they're going to come to see the light of like real Bitcoin stuff. And I think that's going to be, we kind of need that because, you know, the more and more developers, more things happening in Bitcoin is always better. Yeah. And I think to, I guess to round it off, as, as we've been talking about a lot of different aspects for this episode, you know, biggest challenges, opportunities, soft forks, covenants, you know, what are we doing about trying to onboard people? Ultimately, we want more people to use Bitcoin. If we get more people hodling and, you know, I want to get more people hodling Bitcoin, using Bitcoin and ideally denominating in Bitcoin, right? The more people we can get to sort of mentally do that, we're winning, right? Like we are winning. It's just that, yeah, there's some of these scam, spam things that I would rather not have, but I also recognize I can't stop them. I can't filter them. Uh, And so that's kind of... That's how I'm seeing it. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. And I will put all the links in the show notes. So it's uh, mutinywallet.com um, and Ben the Carmen on social media. I'll put the links in the, de- in the descriptions. And Ben, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Stefan. I hope you enjoyed the show. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 551. And don't forget to give the show a like and subscribe if you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you in the Citadels.